I don't want Santana Abraxas. I've just been in a terrible auto accident. I'm sorry, sir. Are you okay? Yes. Yes, no one was hurt. Oh, okay. Um, good. Well, you had 14 days to listen to Santana Abraxas. Look, I, 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 I didn't ask for Santana Abraxas. I didn't listen to Santana Abraxas. I didn't do anything. Hi, I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and actor, and welcome to Genre Reveal Party. This is our podcast where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss, and there will be spoilers, partially because it's our goal that you don't need to have watched the thing to enjoy the podcast. This week, we're talking about a serious man, and we've got guests. So first up, welcome to Shira Talpaz, poet, professor of comparative literature at Oberlin, who specializes in modern Hebrew and Arabic literatures, especially focusing on poetry, Israel-Palestine studies. Why did I say Palestine? We got to start the whole thing over again. Israel-Palestine studies, translation, post-colonial and feminist theory and nationalism. And she teaches this movie in combination with the Book of Job. Hello, Shira. Hi, thank you for having me. We've also got Daniel Strauss, actor, writer, comedian, whose credits include Curb Your Enthusiasm, Bust Down, There's Johnny, and the Second City Main Stage. Uh, I, I guess, welcome, Daniel. My man, Mr. Dave Arino, it is good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great start. Okay. Welcome. So... Daniel is a very is a very longtime friend of mine. Maybe this would be uh, I can we can cut it out. We can cut my suggestion out if you want. But I, in addition to the respective experience we have here in complet and comedy, one of the reasons we wanted to have the two of you on is because this is a very Jewish movie, and it felt like an analysis from two goys would be especially incomplete. <laughs> we want to give ourselves permission to talk about movies outside of our experiences, but th this movie is just very Jewish. And I'm wondering, Daniel, if you would be willing to share the story from uh, 7-Eleven in Chicago that especially um, uh, qualifies you to talk about this movie. Yeah, well, that's and that's definitely what that was the moment. This was the moment that I found out how, just how qualified I was to talk about mm -hmm. things like this. It was you and me and Drennan and was Ross there? I can't remember. Yeah, right. We, it was okay, all so four. Yes, yeah, we were all there in a Seven Eleven. This is uh, our in independent improv team mm -hmm. in Chicago in, in two thousand. And there yeah, was this whatever, guy eight, there. Um, this 15. sort of. Um, flamboyant gentleman who sort of gave us all uh, looked us all up and down and i don't even remember exactly what his like in was to be like now i'm gonna tell all of you the kind of person that you are like he was just like i'm just gonna break you all down and I think he was saying who was cute he, he was saying okay. that like he was like going down and saying who was gay and who was straight okay and yeah i remember him like looking at at our friend drennan and and drennan 
you know, was a, a well-dressed guy with sort of skinny jeans and, uh, you know, uh, a cool jacket on. I remember him just, you know, whatever. He went down the line and said something about each of us. And then he gets to me and he just just looks me up and down and goes, Jewish. <laughs> and it, for whatever reason, it has just stayed with us. Uh, My memory is he went gay, straight, straight. Jewish. Yeah, maybe that's what. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I only remember the the re- resolution. I only remember the one that yeah, I got. Yeah, understandably. Maybe because it was like, oh, I'm gonna find out if this guy thinks I'm gay or straight. But I didn't. I just found out something I already knew about myself, which is mm-hmm. that I present as Jewish. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Dave. You, I, I know you're gonna reference an article that you sent around, but there was a part in that article about. Um, this guy having a sort of a self-conscious feeling every time he goes into like, uh, you know, a, a place off the highway or something in like some small town. There's everyone just looking at me thinking that I'm, you know, <laughs> a Jew. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was one of those moments where I was in a, I was in a big city, but I was in a 7-Eleven and somebody, you know, God bless him, just uh, let what was in his head come right out there. And what was in his head looking at me was Jewish. So that's (laughs) what makes me qualified to discuss this film. That's right. That's right. And so my quick quick summary here, uh, because I want to spend as much time chatting all of us together as possible. This movie was written and directed by the Coen brothers, came out in 2009 after they'd already won a bunch of Academy Awards. People call it their most personal film. And the basic story uh, has a lot of ins and outs, but the way to summarize it is Larry Gopnik, a well-behaved, middle-aged Jewish family man who didn't do anything, he repeatedly proclaims, just has shit piled on him. And he's not (laughs) sure if God hates him, and he's a physics professor, and at at the very end of the movie... Right as he's found out that he probably, but he doesn't even definitively know that he will get tenure, he gets a call about x-rays that were taken at the beginning of the movie that heavily imply cancer. The doctor the doctor wants him to um, come into the office. So here, here is a partial accounting of the calamities afflicting Larry, great and small, okay? The the big one is his wife wants a divorce because she wants to marry Cy Abelman. Cy Abelman? Cy Abelman. Okay. <laughs> Cy is a is another guy in the community who wants they want to remarry in the faith. So they want a get, which is a ritual divorce that none of the even Jews in the movie seem to they have to be like kind of reminded it exists. <laughs> Um, so that, that causes all sorts of problems. Larry has to move to the Jolly Roger motel for a little bit. Um, he then, and then Cy gets in a car crash and his wife wants Larry to pay for Cy's funeral. They, they sit Shiva at the Gopnik's houses. Uh, so, so there's the, there's the divorce and Cy Abelman situation. His son, Danny, is getting bar mitzvahed, which is more of an ambient stress, uh, except uh, Danny's biggest stress is that uh, F Troop is not coming in clearly on the the antenna. And he calls his dad even at like the lawyer's office to come 
fix the antenna. Uh, also, the Brants next door are vaguely threatening goys who go hunting. When when the dad looks at Larry and, and he's playing catch with his kid, he throws the ball harder into the kid's mitt. Uh, on the other side next door is Mrs. Samsky, a Jewish woman who is technically married and 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 her her con- contribution to the stresses is just that she's like distractingly sexy basically that's kind of her situation um Clive Park a student of Larry's failed the midterm and seems to have dropped an envelope of cash to get a a passing grade uh and as a thorn in Larry's side uh his his tenure situation is is up in the air for a lot of it um what's what's the guy's name who's the tenure professor i wrote it's like Ar arno arlen arlen mm. uh that actor does a fucking goat hand acting performance the hand acting he does is fucking incredible but i'm get i'm getting distracted okay tenure situation is <laughs> is a is tenuous right mm-hmm. Uh, and the Columbia Record Club uh, dem- is demanding payment uh, because <laughs> Danny has joined the Columbia Record Club um, and gotten the album of the month main selection, which recently was Santana Abraxas. And as Larry says, I didn't ask for Santana Abraxas. I didn't listen to Santana Abraxas. I didn't do anything i think the only other one is arthur his brother who's with him has a sebaceous cyst he's constantly draining writing a a a, uh an incomprehensible but beautiful uh probability map of the universe in a notebook that he calls the mentaculus which he is using to gamble with a bunch of goys who set up a game, even though it's illegal in 1967-ish Minnesota, where they are. Um, yeah, Arthur says a bunch of goys set up a game. He thinks they were Italian. So uh, I, th- I think that's it. The only other thing I'll note before I want to ask you, Shira, what you – you don't have to give us the whole course, but I want to hear about you teaching – Um. A Serious Man and the Book of Job is that I reread Job this morning, and Job three twenty four had it, it is a verse that I think Michael Stuhlbarg, the main actor who plays Larry, may as well taken as like an acting note. It says, "For sighing has become my daily food; my groans pour out like water," and that's like I mean, this is a movie of. Of groans, of twitches, mm-hmm. of phlegm. Uh, yeah, so let's chat. Shira, what do you, yeah, what, how do you, how do you teach this movie? Um, so I've actually, I've had it on my syllabus more than once, but I think I really only got to teach it. Uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this last time, this last semester, I teach a Jewish uh, literature course, aptly titled Jewish Literature slash Jew-ish Literature. <laughs> oh, my God. 
the only course that I that I like had some fun with its title. Usually my titles are just kind of like Middle Eastern prison literature. Come enjoy, right? Um, but like, yeah, no, very, very heavy. But so um, the Jewish literature class, yeah, I actually got some, I got a little bit of questioning on that when I when I was up for reappointment. But um, I think I explained it uh, well enough that they weren't so bothered by it. But um, but essentially, you know, because the class deals with um, the class deals with uh, Jewish culture and literature um, across sort of transhistorically, but largely um, kind of interested in the ways in which um, biblical, sometimes rabbinic, sometimes pre-modern, other kinds of pre-modern um, material uh, uh, haunts or is taken up as like an intertext, um, you know, in, in modern and contemporary times. And so, um, and so I first taught the course and it just like did not go well. Um, but I reimagined it. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I like, I could, I'm not gonna, they, they tell me to stop being self-deprecating. So I'm going to stop being self-deprecating before I start good advice. But, um, but I, I reimagined it after sort of the methodology was, was kind of, uh, all over the place, um, uh, across thematic lines, like three overlapping themes. And the first one is, and I'm thinking about like, what does it mean to be a Jew or like, how, how does one access like different, um, different forms of, uh, uh, or, or even, um, yeah, different forms of like, uh, Jewish culture, um, different forms of significance in Jewish culture. And so I decided to go with, uh, three like overlapping themes. Like I said, the first one is suffering, right? Of course, the main one. Um, and these are overlapping, obviously you'll see in a second. The second one is sex. And the third one is humor. Um, and I think, uh, you know, and so like, it's so like, I think, uh, uh, the first one, what we do is we read um, Job and then we look at ways in which Job comes into modern and contemporary literature and literary phenomena. Like uh, we actually read uh, Kafka's The Trial first. Right. And then we read um, and then we you read some poetry uh, by Paul Salon and uh, um, and some other poets, too, that like uh, that, that bring in like Job and motifs and stuff like that. But that's kind of that's kind of heavy. Um, and then uh, uh, and then we watch a serious man. And so, um, you know, a serious. So one of the questions, one of the questions that I ask them is sort of, you know, um, is Kafka and, and are the Cohen brothers um, retelling Job now, now ish, 60s. Right. Um, are they doing something different? Are they uh, uh, um, is like, you know, I think in some ways, like not some ways, like there's like, like Kafka's The Trial is, uh, uh, there's nothing necessarily legibly Jewish about it, aside from the fact that like of Kafka's own identity, which even that isn't always <clears throat> legibly Jewish in a certain way, unless you know more about him, at least that's been taken to task. But um, if we look at it allegorically, uh, the trial, you know, th there's uh, uh, in its relationship with Job um, and it's the way in which it deals with suffering uh, has been thought of as Jewish. But now the mm. Coen Brothers film, that's just like the most legibly Jewish all over the place, right? Yeah. Film. Um, mm. And so, and so, you know, I'm curious about, yeah, I'm curious about the ways in which, uh, you know, Job haunts or suffering is taken up as a question uh, of indeterminacy, sort of a question in relation mm -hmm. to, to um, you know, the modern even postmodern uh, grappling with God and godlessness, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so, and so part of it is just sort of like, yeah, uh, is there, is there's clearly like a set of Jewish traditions and things that like hold constant, but like, is there, is there still meaning for people? Do they still, do they draw on these traditions? Do they, do they comfort, are, do they serve as a balm? Are they useful? Um, uh, is, is the, is there a system that guides the world and that, you know, that, that Jews can take comfort in, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, I think those are some of the larger questions that, uh, overlap among those. So what's the answer? <laughs> yeah, no, the answers were fucked. Um, I think, uh, the answer is, the answer is, uh, uh, I think it's a film. I think Job is an enigmatic book. I really like, I love teaching it. I like thinking about it. It's kind of painful, but I like all of the dark. I like, I like dark humor. I like the darkness of Job. Um, I don't find the ending of Job satisfying, even though it's like so conclusive. Um, Where he just gets everything back. He gets all his freaking camels. He he gets it back plus, right? He gets it back. And then they're like, oh, and you're, and you have more children or, or some interpretation is like your, your, your daughters are hotter. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what the, you know, and so like, and but like, also that doesn't erase. It's not like Job's memory is erased. Job was just like covered in like you know gnarly boils, and Job was you know Job Job's kids died, right? Like Job Job sunk to the lowest possible, um, you know, to the lowest possible point, and he doesn't. He's not. He you know the trauma is like. knifed into his psyche right and so you know that just is all very unproblematized at the end and it's just like ah you know he lives long gets to see kids grandkids whatever and then Mm -hmm. i think if we look at the end of the end of um the end of this film the end of uh a serious man like uh and i mean i don't want to skip ahead here but like no yeah let's skip all over for sure okay well you asked what the you asked you know what the sort of there is no clear resolution you end in a moment of indeterminacy you do it is heavy-handed you do get the sense that like bad shit's going to happen. Right. But like, if it's not, Mm -hmm. if it's not um, cancer, maybe it'll be a tornado that takes them or maybe it won't be any of those things. And, you know, maybe he'll go bankrupt and commit suicide. Like who knows what'll happen. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, but I think, uh, but I think it still ends on this note of indeterminacy that also is one in which all of his, everything that he believed in his kind of moral certainty, his clarity of mind, um, in, or maybe like the form of denial in which he was living is all called into question still. Um, mm-hmm. I think if anything is left at the end of that film, it's that like, we are not certain. We are in a, we are suspended in a state of uncertainty and it's got its, it's got its bleakness, but there's also some moments of humor, at least if you're not the person in the middle of it, um, I think. So no, stuff's bad at the end of that film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except for the viewer. I don't know. Yeah. I think since we're thinking about the, like at some point we're going to do a genre reveal, you know, also this season we're talking about family stories. Family matters is the, um, is the theme of the season, which actually <laughs> Strauss. Now I want to pimp you to talk about the Jewishness of the sitcom family matters uh from uh audio describing it yeah well i i recently uh did a lot of work on uh the sitcom family matters for uh for a work project had to um look at it a little more carefully than probably ever would have 
And it sort of just occurred to me while working on it, I was like, you know, this humor seems familiar to me. Um, it really, it's playing like Jewish humor. Uh, initially, I thought it just sort of feels like very like white. But then the more I listened to it, I was like, actually, these this has like a vaudevillian quality to some of these jokes. Like it feels Jewish. And I sent this to to Dave and our friend Drennan. I said, I, like, I have a theory. I think that maybe this show was written entirely by by white people. Not only <laughs> that, come to find out, I found a video of Jaleel White talking about Family Matters, and he point blank says, this entire show was written by Jewish people. <laughs> like He's like, this is a show about a black family living in Chicago written by Jewish people. And he's like, in the pilot, there's a scene where a character comes in, Rachel comes in and says, oy vey. <laughs> and sure enough, there's a clip of Telva Hopkins coming in and, and like tripping on the way to the house. And she goes, oy vey. And it's like, oh my God. Like thinking wow. about how far uh, representation in media, it has a ways to go. <laughs> but how far it's come since then, at least that you wouldn't say, we're going to have these black actors just deliver Yiddish jokes. Um well, that's their way of representing yeah. blackness and Jewishness at the same time. For sure. And that is what's going on. Uh, and the result is, uh, is very strange on a, on a second viewing um, years after the fact. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I think, I don't know. I, one of the, the reason that I chose this movie was because it, the, I think that there's a way in which the whole movie is like one long joke and in some ways like mm -hmm. one long shaggy dog joke where it keeps going down digressions and like not ending and then rewatching it i was like damn there are a lot of very funny moments but this shit is very fucking bleak i'm curious mm -hmm. what you guys thought like if you thought it was funny that's a good question i think i was talking about it with a friend uh uh the other day, because I was just trying to gather my thoughts. Um, I think it's kind of a hard movie to totally gather your thoughts on, but, um, you know, calling it enigmatic. But um, the first time that I watched it was years ago when I was a grad student um, for a course on Jewish culture. And that's when I first, like, even thought about it in relation to, to Job. And uh, I remember hating it. I remember hmm. just being, I, I felt like it was torture. And I was just, at the end, I was like, why did this happen to him, to me, to all of us? <laughs> The second and third, fourth, et cetera times, I think it's hilarious. Like, I I don't know. I was able to, maybe because the first time I just, I don't know. I tend to, like, I, like, immersed myself maybe too much in it or some, something. I don't know. I felt like it was happening to me. I don't, I don't really know how hmm. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's something there that's problematic. But um, uh, I'll take it up with, you know, my therapist. But I think, um, I think primarily this, but I actually heard this from a non-Jewish friend, too. So this wasn't necessarily the, the Jewish resonance that like the first time he watched it, he was like, he was like, you know, he didn't like it. He thought he thought it was mm -hmm. painful to watch. Um, but I think when you know what's going to happen, I think you can come back in and kind of start to appreciate mm -hmm. some of the some of the like, yeah, the, the small um, moments of humor or the things that like you haven't always. Um, I like, you know, I just like was finding myself like just just taking some notes of like, you know, the doctor for example, the first scene where where Larry's at the doctor, not not one of the final ones where the doctor's falling back, but um, you know, the doctor does runs all these tests on him, and then they're in his office, and he's just like pulls out a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> starts smoking, and it's like, you want one? And Larry, you know, Larry's like, no, nah. like I'm good, man. Um, but like that's that you know, just these small moments are just like kind of mm. just 
really their 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 gold. And so um, I think the more times you watch it, and the more times I read Kafka too, like the the and I don't know again if this is like a failing on the part of my personality or whatever. I just think I think it's it's funny. It gets funnier and funnier. Mm-hmm. Um, You're able to like experience it more and more as a joke, maybe. Yes, I am. Yeah, I think I think it's I think I uh, I don't feel it like weighing on me personally. I feel like I have a little bit more distance from it. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just yeah, even the small details that I hadn't noticed, just like the the sort of little moments of genius where like, you know, you first introduce to some of the kids and they're just like, I'm studying Torah, asshole. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that gets at something real about like, you know, whatever American suburban American Jewish life. But, um, but it's also just like, uh, yeah, there's also some, you know, hilarity there too. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, that Torah portion is, in the a, same sense. is a, is a catchy, that's a catchy Torah. I had that stuck in my head after watching yeah, the movie. Yeah, you were doing this, the, the trope, you were rehearsing it. That, yeah. That's how like yeah. a lot of them start. What's funny is like, I mean, sure, I don't know if you had this experience, but it, like for me, even now, like what's crazy is like I'll attend a service now and the bar mitzvah kid will go into their portion or they'll go into like the post Haftorah blessing and like I still remember it, which is very weird because it was mm. something that I similar and I did exactly what he does in this movie. I, without a record player, had a tape deck, but I just sat in front of a tape deck and rewound every three seconds and repeated it, you know, exactly like he does. That part was, it's just like so very truthful. Um hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I had a very similar experience. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The first time I watched it, I didn't hate it because I, I knew that there was enough in there that resonated with me uh, that I was like, I remember thinking like, I should probably watch this again sometime. Like, you know, I, I came away from it with a couple of moments that, that really stuck with me, particularly um, the accept the mystery line. And just the entire story about the teeth, I was mm-hmm. like, this is yeah. like the most uh, Jewish story I've ever heard. Just like this <laughs> winding, in-depth narrative. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is the reveal going to be? And the reveal is like, helping people couldn't hurt. And it's like, no, 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 no. You have to give me, you, you got to give me more than that. Um, it actually... If you'll indulge me for a second, it reminded me of um, a story. There's a story that, uh, at least in my experience, is read every single Passover. It's in any Haggadah that I've ever seen. They always include this story. Uh, and so there's they, they made a point to put this in so that you read it every year. And, and I have it here. So it's only a paragraph. But I'll read you yeah. the story. Uh, Once upon a time, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Joshua and Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah and Rabbi Akiba and Rabbi Tarfan, that's about half the story, were feasting together in the village of B'nai Barak. And they talked about the exodus from Egypt so long that before they knew it, it was morning. And their students were calling to them, it is already morning. It is time to recite the Shema. That's it. That's the story. That, that is in every Haggadah I have ever read. I don't know why it's in there. I don't know what, uh, aside from the point of just being like, boy, you know, you could talk about this stuff for a long time. I don't (laughs) understand what bearing it has Hmm. on this story that would merit 
editor after editor saying, well, we got to keep the one with Tarfan and B- right. B'nai Barak They're like and- going through like what's cuttable and they're like, yeah, I don't know. We need to know all the guys, all the guys who were <laughs> there. It's names. really important. We can't cut that. That story, when I first saw the teeth thing, it reminded me immediately of, of that story. And I feel that a lot of Judaism is like, here's a long, in this is a shorter one, obviously, but here's a story. And the and the moral the moral is uh, you know try to you should try to be nicer to other people you know like it just there there was just something so inherently Jewish about that scene that even the first time I saw it when I didn't necessarily love the movie and on second viewing I did love it on second viewing I, and I mm. thought it was to answer your question pretty much hilarious from start to finish <laughs> um, completely different to go back and watch as a father. Um, it, it, it uh, but yeah, but I remember watching that something about that part of the movie just resonated with with me in a in a very very deep way. There's something really fun. I like kept noticing all the little acting choices and Rabbi Nochner who tells Larry that story. Um, like at the end, he's like he almost does like a Home Alone gesture. He he like lifts his lifts his hands to his cheeks and he's like. What a story. Hmm. It's like the briefest little thing. It's like so weird and cute. Um, but he doesn't yeah, even go- remember telling the story. Right? <laughs> He's like, what happened to the story? He's like, what story? Like this- <laughs> yeah. Also, there are multiple endings that he leaves out. Like Larry's like, and then what happened? And he's like, is it relevant? And then, and then he asks, and what happened to the goy? And he's like, does he say what goy? He's almost like, He's like he says like the goy who cares yeah yeah who cares yeah <laughs> and then he's like and and what happened to Sussman he's like uh, he just went whatever would he he's like whatever would happen to dude Sussman. the one just shot like, of Sussman hmm. where like he's supposed to be being told in that moment like helping other people couldn't hurt and Sussman yeah. just like smiles and like gets up to walk away <laughs> <laughs> that, that was it. that was all he needed he was okay with that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I really liked about the movie, not to force the genre question already, but just like uh, looking over a lot of the reviews, some of them, you know, Richard Corliss of Time called it a fable, right? Like, and you can read it, it, so a fable has to have a lesson, right, of some sort, Um, and its purpose is to teach that lesson, right? And so I was just thinking about like how the kind of inner tension of the whole movie was like, is this a fable or is it like the anti-fable? <laughs> like, right. Is, it, is there anything you know, to learn from this? Yeah. And I, yeah. I was kind of curious about, yeah, just that. I mean, we could talk more about um, genre, but like storytelling and like why are stories being told? And um, is it to teach something or just to endure or like why are why are stories being told in this story you know well i thought and is that makes me think of the moment where larry's talking to clive in his office in mm-hmm. that first confrontation and clive is like is is like I didn't know I failed the midterm because I didn't know you're going to be testing on the math i thought it was just the physics he's like i understand the physics i i I I get the cat. I get Schrodinger's cat. And mm-hmm. Larry's like, I don't even get the cat. He's like, the math is the physics. Like the math is right. the main thing. And I, so, so like 
you know, yeah, the that's the that's the tension between the story and non-story, right? Right. right. Yeah. But I think Larry doesn't know what's up in there. He tells Clive the math is the real thing. The story mm-hmm. is just like a, a parable almost. Right. He but says I terrible. think the story is the real thing. The, Larry, like Larry's all fucked up because he thinks it's all about the math. He thinks it's supposed to be fair or that if he does the right things, it's going to work out. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's right. I think the I think so much of like the humor is like the tension and not to like ruin it by explaining. Some, but I think some of it is like the tension between, um, you know, these like these like absurd things piling on to him or like the, or like just just the like hyperbole of how much is piling on to his life, but also mm-hmm. how he's such a like doofus, like how he like didn't he he thinks he has all of this certainty at the beginning and he's sort of unwavering in his in his like morality but like he he says that like you know his his wife like uh uh wanting to leave him and cheating on him is like a bolt out of the blue like mm-hmm. he didn't even notice and she's just been like i've been telling she's like a total b and she's like i've been telling you this and like you know and so that's coming out of the he just he lives his life in this like i, I don't know i think he's sort of it's it's like he's he's got a kind of myopia or something. Is he's I, I it's not blinders on or something. Um, that mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, I think he thinks he knows. He knows. He thinks he knows. Like the moral of the story. He thinks he knows um, the point of everything. But the truth is, he doesn't even know how much he has no clue of what's going on. Yeah, that's why I love at the end when he's trying to get in to see Marshak, and he's like, I'm a. I've tried to be a serious man. Like he stops himself <laughs> short of saying that he is, especially because he just sat through that whole funeral service where Knockner's like, Cy Abelman was a serious man. Cy so Abelman is the only person unqualified referred to as a serious man in this movie. Yeah, deeply unqualified. As, <laughs> no, as but, a... but no, I mean like without qualification. <laughs> Larry, oh, yeah, Larry, but he is also Larry unqualified. Isn't a serious man. But he's also unqualified. He's yeah. also sure, deeply sure, unqualified. Sure, sure. Deeply he's, yes, yes, yeah, yes. gone behind this man's back and, and cheated with his wife and sent letters to the tenure board, uh, menacing letters. Like, he's disgusting. You could argue that in his own sort of side story where he's the protagonist, the you know, he got what he had coming, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he he made his choices in life and Hashem punished him in his own way. We don't think of it that way because we're thinking it all through the lens of how it affects Larry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's that's what like at by the end of it, he's like, I think I'm a serious man. I guess I don't really know what that is. I think it's, I also think it's interesting <laughs> right. that it, well, and I don't want to shift too much, but in the in the um. The story at the very beginning, in the, the mm-hmm. story about the Dibbuk at the beginning, uh, yeah. they re- they use the term righteous instead of serious. They, rational. Uh, is it rational? Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know. What, in the subtitles, they say rational. Okay. Maybe I, maybe I made that up myself. But no, use righteous. If you thought it was righteous, what did that make you think? Well, I just, I was wondering about the translation uh, from, uh, from, Yiddish mm. or even from Hebrew, because there is, you know, righteous is a word that I think shows up a lot uh, mm. in Judaism. Uh, to be a, a tzaddik, to be a, a, a righteous person, it feels sort of synonymous with a with a, with a serious person. But it, but although there is some, uh, 
there's maybe a little more subtlety there that a, a, a serious person is is more someone who goes about their business in the correct way, and a righteous person is you could argue is a more active, uh, right? I didn't I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Well, a righteous person does com, you know performs mitzvot, does hmm. good deeds, um, which is maybe where the line between the, the two is. I guess I sort of figured that out on on the fly how I feel about that, but um, <laughs> but I was but but I was thinking about the similarities and differences between uh, you know righteous and serious. Mm-hmm. I think I mean I think the you know, the way that you're thinking about um, his passivity. Uh, in terms of like the idea of righteousness, that makes a lot of sense. I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Like he's, yeah, his, his, his passivity is so irritating that by the time that he has this nightmare of Cy Abelman, like throttling him, you as like a viewer, at least I, as a, you just kind of want to like, you ha- like, I, like I, you know, Cy Abelman was, was like awful and you kind of are, are happy to hear that he dies or whatever, you know, it's like you, you as a viewer are put in all of these strange moral quandaries too but um but when he gets throttled finally like it's just like it's just like his you know his subconscious in his in his dream state it's finally like you know it's finally just like do something like do something right like why are you just like gonna go spend another night at the jolly roger or whatever and so Mm. i think you're right though i think i think um i think there's there's not he doesn't just demonstrate like a kind of inflexibility in terms of like his his moral thinking, but, uh, but like a, a little bit of a holier than thou attitude, but he also isn't always, isn't ever often. I don't even know all I'm trying to think. Is he ever an active participant? I, th- I thought the only active choice that the guy made the whole time was to say to Clive, I'm not changing your grade on this test. He makes mm-hmm. the firm choice yes. to, to Clive. There's no way it is not right. It's the wrong thing to do. I won't do it. And it almost feels like because of that, you could say Hashem withholds, right? The 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 sort of ultimate judgment. Like Hashem is like, you know what? He he's messing up down there. I gotta you know whip him around. But at the end of the day, I'm not gonna do this dishonor. So then at at the end of the movie, when we actually do see him making his second active choice, maybe of the whole film, which forget that he dreams about making active choices. He dreams about taking his brother to to put him in the boat and send him, send him off. Right. He actually makes the choice to erase the C, the F and replace it with a C. And immediately it's like, Oh, you shouldn't have done. That was not the right choice, but Um. not immediately. (laughs) The crazy thing about that, that I think might've been in that bright wall, dark room review um, or like essay that you, that you mentioned earlier, Strauss was, uh, it's it's after he he does a C, then there's a beat, and then he he adds a minus to the C, and then the phone picks up. So it's like, is the, is it the is it changing the <laughs> F to the C that that universally triggers the cancer call, or is it adding the C minus? Did he get too full of himself? Is it like know? how how dare you? You yeah, really think yeah. that's better? <laughs> You done putts. did it with the fucking minus, bro. But that's such a mind fuck anyway, because the mm-hmm. entire film, you're like being told that like, like you think it's like straightforward. You think that there's like this direct causality that you've made all the right choices or at least not, you know, you've been disinclined toward making the wrong choices and yet you're being punished. Right. Um, but then at the very end, when he actually kind of does something that's, you know, making you're right active, but like, not ideal, making the wrong choice, seemingly, 
uh, we get that we get that suggestion of immediate causality. But by the way, like Job, he does get a lot of this stuff back. His wife is saying to him at the at the bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. "I'm sorry, things have been tough for us lately." His son does a really good job. He's looks like he's going to get tenure. Then he, but then maybe you could argue he actually was. It was fine. The whole all he had to do is keep faith. The whole movie, he didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, it was just going to be. You know, it's just a little test, and he was going to pull out of it. Hmm. I, yeah, I think there was some. I think there was some restoration. I think it it makes it like eases a li- it a little bit toward the end, but it also confuses things. I think too at the end, and uh, um, partially because like there was no, there was no revelation. There was no encounter with God. Like in Job, um, in Job, like Job holds fast the entire time. Like he, you know, he he knows himself to be righteous god has in in the like you know in the like a uh, frame story that like uh uh that precedes job god basically calls him unimpeachable right but then messes with him anyway right um but but uh uh so but at the end after like after like dealing with his three friends at the very end um he he sort of holds fast through uh his friends who aren't so who aren't uh, uh who aren't so much friends um at the very end he has to he can you know god confronts him and uh after he's after he's been sort of uh he's resisting he he doesn't want to accept what's going on to him and he doesn't believe mm. it's fair um and i think that's a form of questioning god even if it's um not fully it's not totally direct um and then uh and then god's like who are you to even who are you? Who are you to even ask me? You have no clue. You have just a, uh, you, you'll never be able to understand uh, uh, what I'm capable of. Um, and that's, you know, the next, in the next scene or a couple scenes later, Job's like, oh yeah, you're right. And uh, I should have never, you know, I should have never, I should have never uh, uh, doubted anything or, or approached this in this manner. And then, he, and then all everything is restored. And I think, I think, you know, Larry doesn't, I mean, there is there isn't that moment. There are definitely moments where it's just sort of like this is unjust. The whole thing just seems like unjust, but it doesn't feel like there's mm-hmm. ever that. And and frankly, I'm kind of glad about it because that moment's bullshit. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I like I don't know. I think I think that is which, a postmodern answer. Which moment, which answer. moment is bullshit? The idea that like like God. So so we have the God of the frame story, who's like Job is is approximates perfection, right? Um uh as a, as a like morally righteous individual um mm. and then and then the adversary is like yeah but that's you know you're, like you know of course he loves you like that's easy to it's easy to it's easy to be upright um when you're perfect and you have all this wealth and job's the richest person in all the land etc and why don't you take him down a peg right and god's like yeah you know what? i'm gonna do that <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and do that right um and then you have the god of the the main narrative um and i mean they're, they're kind of spliced uh, uh uh narratives here but we have the god of the main narrative who who is then like you have no idea what i'm capable and what i've planned and who i am and what i can do right but it's also like well we do have an idea those of us reading the text and it's not all that you know it doesn't seem all that grand right um there seems Dude, to be one this- of my favorite moments from rereading job which you know, maybe I'm just trying to prove I did the homework, but when God is going on his rant, 
Which, by the way, Job reads like a fucking Real Housewives episode. It is like this one dude and his three friends screaming at each other that like, I didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, well, if you didn't do anything wrong, why is this happening to you? Don't you think if you just like kept fucking believing that God would come in and then God comes in and yells and it's like, what's going on? Why did anyone question anything? And, and God says to Job, he says, have you entered this? Like, basically, like, if you're so smart, he's like, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or seen the storehouses of the hail, for which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed? He's like, so Job, if you're so smart, where do I keep the lightning? Huh? Show me where the lightning is, Job. That shit's so funny. It, it, like, it, like it is, right? Like God has just like plagued this guy and like ruined his life in all of the possible ways. And then he's just like... He's just like, how dare you even, you know, utter a peep? Like, you don't even, yeah, you don't know how to make a giraffe. This guy doesn't even know where I keep the lightning. He says all <laughs> these things about giraffe. God also, like, is describing these animals in such detail. It's like, yo, we get it. You fucking made the animals, okay? Like, we could have looked up on Wikipedia all the shit that the animals do, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, but, and that's the thing. Like, there's not, like, with Larry... He, like there's not that uh, contrived moment right um mm-hmm. yeah. and i i think like that makes sense in like a postmodern like i think that makes that makes sense because we don't i mean we we have all these signs that we're trying to interpret but we never and even when the when the like tornado comes or when the whirlwind comes like you know we don't have god's voice speaking from it so we, we're trying to interpret we're trying to figure it out and the reality is that like we don't always have these like revelatory moments and and it can be indeterminate i don't know i found that Personally, like I get that it's unsatisfying in some ways. There's not, not the same. There's not closure like there is in Job, but I think Job's closure is bullshit. Yeah. So I yeah. think this is less bullshitty, personally. Yeah. It will, and life keeps going, right? I mean, uh, you know, in a movie, we we wrap up whatever the ending for our characters is, and and we move on. But the reality is, is that life keeps on going. So the movie could, you know, you could arguably end it, you know. With his uh, the guy saying, you know, you're gonna, you're probably gonna get tenure, and then just Larry smiling at his desk, like, nah, I guess everything's gonna How be all right. How jarring would that be if that was the ending of this movie? I bet they thought about it. I mean, I bet sure. they, you know, I mean, it is. Uh, this is the sort of movie where the filmmakers have built up some cred to make a movie like this, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think I feel that it's masterfully done. But I also feel like if this was their like first movie, it might not have done you know as well we might not be talking about it um this is the sort of movie where you've sort of built up some cred and you're like i'd like to get a little more personal and talk about you know a a script that you know might not play as well in a in a college classroom where they're breaking down three-act structure um Mm -hmm. you know i but i think that the another thing i think is just that the the sort of the way that it portrays sort of day-to-day life for this guy you know, his his life is coming apart at the seams. The only thing that his kid can focus on is F Troop. You know, Dad, you got to go fix the area of me because, you know, F Troop's coming in fuzzy. The only thing that his daughter cares about is getting her hair clean so that she can go to a place she only refers to as the <laughs> hole, um, which is weird in its own way. Um, you know, like there's even a part where they sit down for dinner after his dad has been relegated to the jolly roger and his son is like where's dad is dad dad coming to dinner no Mm -hmm. dad you know nobody is really it's it's you know 
long days, fast years. It's like nobody's really stopping to pay attention about anything that's that's going on. It's just sort of this ball rolling, the tornado just rolling forward, just, you know, spinning through everything in its path. So I think yeah. I, the, the, I was impressed. You know, I think the movie does a really good job of kind of with, you know, and the number of times that people just say what's going on without mm-hmm. getting any sort of an answer or even really following up. To be honest, He'll, like the two kids are fighting and he comes in, he's like, what's going on? And then they both just go in the other room and it's like, all right, thank God. I don't have to deal with that anymore. You know, they'll go let that be their problem. Uh, I've got a million of my own. I'll go deal with those. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Like, I was thinking about this as a representation of the family, right? So that's our theme for the season. I actually hadn't seen it. Um, it had been kind of on my list, but it came out my first year of graduate school. So there's like a kind of black hole in my um film viewing history and i always kind of meant to see it but then i didn't but i took dave's word for it you know this is a movie about the family well you questioned me a lot you were like what does this have to do with the family yeah i think you i wouldn't say i mean yeah it's it's about a family you're right you asked my word about it yeah i mean i wanted to watch it anyway so this is great but strikes me as a movie that's very much somehow about fatherhood without being about the family at all right like it's so Mm. it's so much about larry and his his perspective that um it feels like at least in the family the women especially (laughs) are like really reduced to kind of caricatures and i don't think it in an unconscious way i think it's part of what the film is is saying about its own story, right? Um, and particularly Larry's perspective, right? Um, but I was just wondering what you all thought about. This is a representation of like a Jewish family, um, Jewish women. I don't know. There's a lot there. And I was especially, <laughs> Shira, interested in what you were thinking about that angle. It definitely trades in um, cultural stereotypes of, I mean, mm-hmm. of, like heavily, right? Um, with a heavy right. hand uh, of... Uh, the Jewish family, uh, the American Jewish family, I'll say, um, as a, I mean, I, yeah. Um, yeah. As someone who has like a, something of an Israeli, like an Israeli background and doesn't necessarily, um, like this is all very familiar to me, but also, um, I wouldn't say it's exactly my own experiences. Um, you know, fast forwarded, you know, 20 years or 30 years or whatever, 40 years, um, but, uh, but I will say that, um, yeah, the, the, the stereotypes that it trades in is sort of like the, the, you see the, the inverted, um, the, the typical patriarchal gender norms being inverted, right? So the woman, um, just the classic, like Jewish mom kind of trope, she's not, she's a nag in some ways, um, I'd say, but like, she's predominantly just an emasculating bitch, like, mm-hmm. She just, she just like, she doesn't even, you know, she, he, like she announces that she's going to leave him and he asks the question and she's like, don't be a child. Right. So she asked a question about, um, I think about like, uh, sorry, he asked a question about like, you know, have you essentially like, have you cheated on me or whatever? And she's just like, she's just like, you're, you know, you're being a child or whatever, you know, and it, it, it really, he, he was pretty he a serious man. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, and well, she literally like, says like be an adult and then Cy Abelman <laughs> yes. says she thinks of you at like she said you handled this really like an adult which is like <laughs> she respects yeah she, <laughs> she said respects the word adult. you so much mm-hmm. I 
So, I mean, yeah, no, that stuff is that stuff is hilarious. Yeah, side character is is, is hilarious, right? It's like um, weird but, British accent. I love it. I just the way that it's he so like I, you were talking about like hands, like you were talking about yeah. like the gestures and the mm-hmm. way that he like the touch is like over familiar. It's so gross. Like you just like so splat. And then the way that gets sort of intermingled with like his supposed like uh religiosity and how he's like a spiritual or religious being it's just like it's like extra disgusting and i think that's part of where we're supposed to like start to maybe you know distrust the whole like okay a lot of people like think that they're you know morally or, or like subscribe to these systems but anyway i'm going up mm-hmm. the point is that uh when it comes to family i think i think you do get this like we do get a heavily um uh, uh, stereotyped idea of the American Jewish family. There's a lot that um, I, I'm guessing rings really true and that has stayed true over time. Um, the kind of like boredom in the Hebrew school classroom. I, I went to a Jewish day school, but I know that that's a thing. My mom taught Hebrew school. I mm-hmm. know that that's a thing. The like wanting to, you know, listen to, you know, whatever music instead of pay attention. But the, some of the hilarity of that scene too was just like, was just like the, the, the actual and it's, it was all untranslated it was like the hebrew teacher kind of uh, uh the guy just kind of being like um you know what do you you know what do you know or whatever and you know they they respond like in like grammatic in a grammatically incorrect fashion or they don't they don't even know how to say like i don't know um like you have you have <laughs> you have like them misgendering themselves when they say it like yeah so that part that part was pretty amusing but essentially like you know the kind of foiled somewhat ungrateful kids um who don't know how how good they have it um but Mm -hmm. also you see also the tension among the family types too or between the family types you only get the father-son relationship from the next door neighbors but um a lot of my students ended up talking about this question of um assimilation right and uh and i was curious about you know i I definitely want to hear what daniel has to say but i'm also curious about about what you both think because you're not jewish like in terms of um did that moment of discomfort, like, like the neighbor strikes me as the most, like, you know, just deeply goyish, right? Like, like having the deer, the, like the, the deer carcass, like uh, a strap to his, to his, you know, that's just like, it's hilarious. It's, yeah. it's so alienating for a, a Jew. And it's clear that he's so uncomfortable, you know, there. And I'm wondering, did all of that sort of register? I, I you know, you said something about him, like, throwing the ball harder at his son and there were these like these like small ticks where it's just like there's this threat of violence but there's also this very clear like like peacocking of like in a patriarchal sort right like mm-hmm. like i'm i'm just like a man's man and you know and then here you have like here you have larry who's like you 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 know you're mowing your lawn a little bit on my you know and is it, mm-hmm. is it a tree you know just like mm-hmm. like these small issues so i don't know i was curious about about that for you all too i mean it all seemed to really check i don't know i mean for me like my um my grandpa was jewish and he but he married like an irish catholic (laughs) girl and like um very much like was just a cultural jew like really just was happy to abandon a lot of his jewishness um but I don't know. I think that with the family stuff, that's like my background. So I guess I felt I felt uncomfortable about a lot of things. And I was like, I don't really know what to make of um, what this movie is doing with stereotypes. Like, I feel very sensitive to how it's stereotyping Jewish culture and like where I can and can't relate to that. Um, 
But I was noticing that reading all these reviews is like a lot of, um, you know, Jewish critics were saying that this is an anti-Semitic movie, <laughs> you know, and I was like that I could totally see that interpretation. But there's part of part of what felt confusing to me was I did feel like there was a sense of purpose that it was that it had in trafficking these, you know, obviously um, horrible stereotypes, especially about women, I would say, um, in the family. Um, and so I was just kind of, yeah, there's, there are parts where I was like, it's parodying itself in ways that you also need to feel perhaps included in what's being parodied to, to see that parody. Um, but maybe not. I was, those were questions I was kind of grappling with as I watched it. And I was really seeing that as like, that's probably what critics were um, most unsure about with this movie, you know? Strauss, do you so. think it's, uh, you think this movie is anti-Semitic? No, it's like one of the most Jewish movies ever made. They should like, they should like read it at the end of every, or the script at the end of every like Saturday morning service. <laughs> My rabbi was the one who mentioned to me like, oh, I got to rewatch that movie. Like it came up the other morning, organic. I don't even know how. We were about to lead a service mm -hmm. and she was like, oh, have you seen this movie? Serious, man. Oh man, I got to watch that movie again. Just mm -hmm. started like Googling it. Like it's, yeah. No, it's a, it's like a, it's a wonderful uh, piece of cinema about the Jewish experience in America at a certain time that, that honestly is not even like, I feel like the, the world that the Jewish world that I grew up in is more than a few steps away from this one. But for my mm -hmm. father or my mother, I think that's exactly the world that, that they grew up in, in terms of their Judaism and in, in terms of how it was looked at. And in terms of this, I, this idea of like, I mean, when, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm at a synagogue now where, where the rabbis are much more accessible and, uh, you know, they're members of the community and you can talk to them and they, they don't put themselves on a pedestal. But at the synagogue I was at as a kid, it was like, yeah, it was a little more like Wizard of Oz. It was a little more nobody gets in to see the wizard. You know, they they were they were not quite so... Uh, it, uh, not, I, I can remember once said there was a, a bar mitzvah I went to and they would always hand out uh, breath mints. A lot of synagogues, they'll hand out... Uh, like little candies, and then you throw them at the uh, the bar mitzvah kid. But they didn't do that at mine. They would just hand out breath mints, and you were just supposed to eat the breath mint. Um, <laughs> which a is a whole different message. Yeah, total. Just, just like, here you go. Thanks for coming, and you know, to this three hour service, and you get a mint. Uh, but there were some people who didn't know that, so like the bar mitzvah boy like finished, and they started like throwing the breath mints at the stage. And I just remember the rabbi being like, "That's enough." <laughs> he got mm -hmm. so like red in his face and mad, and it was like, "Oh, that's nice." That's very. That's, I know. also so want to. Do you think that this movie is like it's unafraid of what it's doing with Jewish stereotypes? Then, and that's part of its like, yeah total I mean, Jewishness. It's just like yeah, we can <laughs> we can handle these. I mean, it, it's not interp. It's not afraid of that interpretation. Is what it's what I'm hearing. From you know, you. I I don't think that that was. I'm I'm not Joel or Ethan Cohen, but. Wait. It feels to me like they set out to. <laughs> yeah, I have a big update for you all. Uh, I thought it was Shira I, and or Joel or yeah. Ethan Cohen. No one's our... more disappointed I've been than I am. Uh, 
But anyway, I think that it just feels to me like they set out to uh, make something truthful to what it, whether it was their lived experience or the lived experience of their parents. Like mm-hmm. it, it rings true on a number of levels. It is unquestioned. I guess to me, it feels less like stereotype and more like caricature. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, the parody they are, question. They're right? blowing yeah. things up to make fun yeah. of them, mm-hmm. yeah. while still staying relatively close. To reality. I mean, it's kind of like the... Um... And Strauss, as you... I want to weave in as you're answering this to... Go, feel free to go right into your genre? genre review. Yeah, okay. I know you're I'm actually... That's... Yeah, because I have to get going with that. I'm driving toward that right now anyway. Love it. So I'll, cool. t- I'll just... I'll tell you and then I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the rest. I think that the genre of this film is a male Jewish existential crisis movie. Um, nice. And I think that we're, we've seen a few of those. Um, I haven't seen this movie, but from, from what I understand, Bo is Afraid kind of would fall into this genre. Um, mm. Synecdoche, New York, um, I, I think is one. Uh, I, I was thinking, I was, the, the, what I was about to mention is there's at the very beginning of, of that movie, um, there's a, a rate, the radio is on and this woman is reading like this poem all about somebody's horrible death. Cause that movie is all about death. And it's, you know, this terrible thing that happened to this person and it's in detail and it's way too much for the radio. And afterward, the other DJ goes, well, that's, that's a little dark. Don't or I think she says that's a little dark. Don't you think? And then the, the man who read the poem says, well, yes, but it's truthful. Hmm. Um, which is the thesis of that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. so and that that made me think of this movie as well. That it, yeah, it's a little dark, don't you think? Well, yeah, but it's truthful. And sometimes life does feel like that. Sometimes yeah. it does feel like no matter what you can do, no matter what you do, it's just a, uh, you know, things are just like raining down on you, and you can't get a grasp on it. And then maybe you find out that you actually are probably gonna make tenure, and that's good. <laughs> and for a moment, you're like, eh, maybe things aren't so bad. And then they get bad again. Like, you know, it. Yeah, it just uh that's that was the genre that I that I came down on with that. Uh I'm, I'm trying like to see I'm, I'm looking yeah. at my notes to see if I had anything. Just another line that stood out to me is when Larry says, "Why does Hashem make us feel the questions if he's not going to give us any answers?" <laughs> um <laughs> which again, I think sort of like, you know, sums up this this movie and that whole sort of genre um that it fits into. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is just that I was, that I'm always impressed when I watch this movie that the next door neighbor has, they made a point of including that he has actually a hierarchy of racism. He, when, mm-hmm. when a, an Asian person showed up, he right, threw away right. his anti-Semitism and said to himself, I dislike that person more than I dislike this person. So let me actually see if I can get involved. And I mean, I feel like that is still true to this day, <laughs> like seeing something something like that. So that's a moment that always it, – it's, it's interesting to me that they included that, that this character who is so antagonistic and later in the film, uh, you know, in his dream shoots him, which that scene is utterly hilarious, um, has, has a hierarchy of, of racism. What a lovely guy. Well, thanks for joining us, dude. I know you have to go. We'll feel free to just kind of put words in your mouth for the rest of the episode. Yeah, no, 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 no. Cut the episode in a way that it doesn't seem like I left. 
Oh, you know? okay. Yeah, and then yeah, just yeah. put this stuff at the end. Yeah, because I don't want no. anybody to think. Because no, this is going to influence the rest of the conversation. Just so we'll cut, just, just kind do- of, any problematic opinions we have, we'll kind of say that, that you said them. When you send it to your editor, just <laughs> tell them to cut it round so it doesn't seem like I left. I'm waiting for you to leave so that Dave will finally say all the things he's been waiting to say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, About there's got to be some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're I'm right. Kidding. I'm, I'm No, no, no. You're right, though. I'm, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> I do have to leave. Uh, I have to go love pick you, up buddy. my kid. Thanks for Love you, pal. This. Hey, nice meeting the two of you. Fun nice talk. to meet you, too. Have a wonderful Thanks for joining us. Day. Thank you. Can I answer that question too, by the way? The anti-Semitic question. Yeah, I'd love to hear that because I don't actually feel that way. I do feel like it's very much like um, a movie for Jews by Jews. (laughs) That was kind of like the vibe I got throughout. But I could, but I was interested in how specifically I read this, like uh, I read a couple of Jewish critics saying, that they felt uncomfortable and that they felt it played into like the self-loathing Jewish stereotype or something like this. And I was like, I think it actually trusts its audience more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and is, is very selective about who it thinks its audience is. And that seems actually kind of interesting about it today. Right. Like, I wonder if this movie could be made right now. <laughs> like, there's something very 2009 about like a movie being able to be for Jews by Jews that I don't know. But yeah, sure. What do you think? I think I also trust their audience more generally too. Like, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, whether you're Jewish, Jewish adjacent, what, whatever. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I just, I think that this is like a, the, the kind of, look inward the like um the joining in on the joke or whatever is like a jewish tradition and it Mm -hmm. always gets even internally these these like assertions of like oh that's anti-semitic you know the same thing you know i had us i i we we read um in the sex portion of the uh class we read portnoy's complaint philip roth's work and Mm -hmm. by the way i'm never teaching that again but uh uh what you know one of the (laughs) students was basically just like this is yeah this is just total anti-Semitic trash and, and they were Jewish too. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just think like, and th- that's all, that's also, you know, we saw that in a lot of the reviews, but basically like anytime um, a Jewish person does Jewish humor, they get that, they get that sort of thrown at them. And I think that's, um, I think that's, you know, part of the territory, but I also think it is um, unfair because uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Um, I think, uh, I think there's a point to it. And I think, um, I think it, I think, you know, it's not just, uh, uh, tearing down, right. Uh, or, or, um, denigrating it's, um, you know, it's also understanding, you know, uh, uh, it's clearly, it's clearly working with caricatures, every single person in that, every single character in that, in that work. And this is something I was going to ask you, every single character in the work is like unlikable, but like on a spectrum of like unlikability and like, yes, yeah, some are flatter than others. Sure. The wife doesn't have like we don't get to explore much of her interiority that's true but like also like in the book of job every single character sucks so that's just you know for for the record just a side note i I was thinking about but um but i think i no i don't think it's anti-semitic no i don't think it's anti-semitic at all i'm not saying that a jewish person could never be anti-semitic they they could but i don't you'd have to be pretty extreme and you'd have to be pretty unself-aware and this movie is plenty self-aware um so 
Yeah, I I mean, I can understand being made uncomfortable by it. Um, but I think the I think the stereotypes are all I mean, they're so exaggerated too. Like, you know, everything is going to shit in his life. And yeah, sure, that sometimes happens to us, but like, you know, I just uh yeah, aside from that, uh, you know, there are some notes where things do hew close to like reality or or there's it captures something about the spirit of the time or whatever, but like um, but but you know, usually people are not so totally cut and dried unlikable or they you know they, they have more yeah. they have more redeeming qualities um well it is a genre question right it's like how are we reading this um is it and maybe people are like i'm just gonna say it, taking it too seriously <laughs> you know like right. um and it's not asking you to be a serious man in that way or something like that right like i mean that might be one of the the questions that it's it's opening up in terms of of how not just how to tell stories and why we tell stories, but how we read stories, which is obviously like one of the most important themes of of the film also. And like what we do with codes or can codes be decoded or is everything coded? And (laughs) like, I don't know. I just like, like, what is a, like, like what is a black comedy? You know, like, like what, you know, I, I think like, or like, or like, do you read Kafka and and think it's a tragedy or um you know like there are absurdist humorous satirical it's you know satirical elements there too and so I feel like there's some of these these there's kind of genre bending going on um yeah because you like Larry clearly thinks his life is a tragedy right and that's what's funny right so you're kind of and that's that's I think Job it's been a while since I read Job but I do remember feeling like you know it has this like wink wink nudge nudge quality every time I've read it so that's what I wonder about it actually myself um because it's yeah I think it's just so the swiftness with which everything is restored at the end like it's just and even just like the the dramatic irony between like the frame story and the like you know like god kind of playing around with 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 uh job's life um and then you know just moving into right after the frame story the first thing you get is like job's death wish poem that you're just like okay like there is there is uh you know that like it 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 just the ante gets up just to such heights and so immediately that it's 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 absurd it is absurd um but uh yeah i think maybe in that absurdity there's there's that humor and i guess um i don't know well black comedy is definitely how many people were reading it and you know so a couple of things um david denby who the new yorker critic he actually gave it a pretty surprisingly bad review for him because he's generally a Cohen brothers Stan. Um, he called it a deadpan farce of Job, but said that the Cohen's laughter is not exactly fresh. Dozens of popular comics in the past half century have worked in the same satiric vein. And he's specifically talking about like what they're doing with, um, with Jewish culture and the Jewish family. Um, Carrie Rickey calls it an unsettling, shaggy, surrealistic pillow of a movie, a mixed bag, more funny, strange than ha ha. But I say have, boo um, to that because that's a fucking Jefferson, the Jefferson airplane. airplane. The we got, surrealistic yeah. pillow. Album. Is it a surrealistic pillow 
of a movie? Would you ever describe it as that? Or is that just a fucking reference you want? You know to what? Give her movie? a break. She works for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I just liked I liked how um, lyrical her review was. Um, A.O. Scott said that it was at once hilarious and horrific. Um, Ella Ella Scott, another kind of more um, ambivalent review, called it another dreary exercise in the Coen Brothers' sadism. Um, that went beyond into the realm of truly vicious. And then we have, um, Richard Corliss, who I already mentioned, calls it a fable. Richard, or excuse me, Rick Groen called it a black comedy. So really kind of, I mean, like, all kind of like coming at it from a similar angle, you know, of like kind of trying to make sense of the darkness or the bleakness and the comedic quality. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk about is like how whatever Cohen-esque is this movie and like, could we describe the Cohen brothers as having like a genre of, you know, or oh, what do we think about their, cause I think actually they're kind of, um, I don't think that it's not like, it's not like Woody Allen where it's literally the same movie every time no. right well maybe there okay there was that period in the 80s where he kind of went more like bergman or something like that yeah right? let's, but be, like, let's be fair to woody allen okay <laughs> let's be fair yeah. about that i will be fair to him <laughs> um but um i think they they do a lot of genre hopping you know so like the movie that they did after this was true grit so um you know, the the music biopic, you know, they've done kind of these, they've done a musical uh, that would, you know, Oh Brother, right? We could call that a musical, wouldn't we? Okay, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't remember. I mean, I've only, yeah, I feel like I've seen Fargo, they did Fargo, what else? They did, um, they do, um, Big Lebowski, Cormac McCarthy, uh, yeah, 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 um, No Country for Old Men. So, okay, so, so just to put it in terms of like situating it in terms of their filmography, they have 2007, No Country for Old Men, um, then Burn After Reading, which I love that movie, um, but a lot of people hate it. And then we have this movie, and then we have True Grit. Um, and you know the year before the movie that they did like a few years before was. The Lady Killers, they had intolerable, intolerable Cruelty. I don't know if you saw that one. It's like kind of a flop with the Catherine Zeta-Jones, George Clooney, like kind of legal rom-com, kind of like trying to be a Spencer uh, Tracy kind of Catherine Hepburn movie, but it, it didn't quite land. They kind of go, they dip between like, so their first movie was Blood Simple and their second movie was Raising Arizona, you know, like. Yeah, for a while it was like they're serious and then they're funny. Serious and funny, serious, funny. Yeah. Yeah, So I don't know. There's there's a lot of interesting questions in their filmography to raise about about genre. And um, I think at this point in their career, like, I feel like Burn After Reading maybe really declared it is they're at risk of having of getting sticky about their Cohen-esque genre, right? Um, and they needed to do something. Like they, they needed to kind of like 
stir things up. And I think True Grit was probably a great mm-hmm. move for them. But they actually, you know, to continue to put it into context, they're not making movies together anymore. They might not right. ever do that. So the last thing they did together was in 2018. And they've both since then done their first solo projects. So didn't Joel there's interesting family the questions there. Yeah, he did. The, he did Macbeth, Macbeth with, right. uh, with Francis McDormand. And Denzel Washington is Macbeth, like. Really good movie. I really liked it. Um, but it did feel like a departure. Like there was some quality that was different about it, right? It didn't feel like a Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm sure that that was like an important um, goal with with probably both of their projects is to to kind of do that like articulation away from the other what was Ethan's um, movie? Yeah. Uh, so Ethan's movie. Let me um, get it up. Sorry. Um, he did a documentary, oh. and then he's got a movie coming out called "Drive Away Dolls." Hmm. So he did a Jerry Lee Lewis um, documentary for A twenty four last year, and then he's got this one coming up, which he. Uh, co-wrote with his wife, Trisha Cook, who's been the editor of all their movies for a really long time. Um, It's supposed to be a, quote, American comedy road film. It's got Pedro Pascal, Beanie Feldstein. All right. Matt Damon. I like that. I don't know. It seems like they're trying to separate. <laughs> you know sure i mean maybe that was just the only like challenge left for them as they saw it at the time it might be true but I, you know and i don't know that much about their like dynamic or anything like that but it is kind of interesting to see this like collaboration and to see also like the ways in which they're messing around with genre as part of their relationship you know well um, i think in answer to your question about like are they a genre I think yeah. you've already kind of heavily implied yes. But to me, it's mm. like, rather than give that a name, I mean, the name is like Coen Brothers movie. But the mm-hmm. but to me, the, the thing that defines it is just the moves. Like, what moves are typically made in a Coen Brothers yeah. movie? Um, and I think, so one thing, they're always, there is definitely a Coen Brothers character. There are a lot of mm-hmm. desks in their movies. There are a lot of like <laughs> people behind desks. Um, that guy who doesn't even have a line saw the the real estate agent who has the heart attack. It's just like the oh my one God, yeah. moment, which is which they say he's like found a nifty trick and before you can even say Many anything, times. he has a fucking heart attack. <laughs> that guy even just yeah. I mean a lot of directors have the same actors in their movies, but that guy's one of them in theirs. And I also liked that the one moment there's a possible nifty trick as a way out. It's telling us like, well, there's no nifty ways out of this, you know, but then the other thing is language. There's like the, the, to me, one of the most Cohen-y scenes in the whole movie is the movie is the scene where uh, the wife and Larry and Cy Abelman 
are at embers with the count to 10 yeah with the count to 10 yes and just just the <laughs> fact that it is embers it, like it, like I, I don't know i don't know if it's the same embers but i remember there being an embers restaurant where i grew up outside of cincinnati and huh. and when Cy Abelman says Embers is not the forum for legalities. <laughs> I was like, that is a, such a fucking Cohen Brothers line. It is. And yeah. then when he's like, let's not compare apples and oranges, and and then the wife is like, well, I don't want to play. He said she shit, said either. You know, it's just like these like playing with cliche, being super specific. Like that is fucking Cohen Brothers shit to me. I was gonna, yeah, yeah I was gonna ask if it was. I mean, because I'm not. I, I've seen like a handful of his movies, of, of their movies, but like I don't feel super. Like I don't feel that qualified to, to talk about them in a wider scope but i'm just sure. from what i'm thinking about i'm they seem like very like grounded in place right and mm. in, in location i mean um and so like when you're talking about em, you know embers being um you know outside of Ohio, it's just like this because that was going to be part of my my genre reveal which i'll get to later but like um very much seems like a um a slice of the a slice of a slice, a slice of a slice of the Midwest um, mm-hmm. in this film. And then some of the other, like, like, I don't know, Fargo, like just like the North Dakota, oh, uh, there's this kind of oh. bleakness. Oh yeah. And I just, um, and, and no country for old men too. <laughs> like I, I, I think all of these places, I think you're right that the language is also wrapped up in, you know, it's, is wrapped up in that context. Um, yeah. And so I wonder if maybe that's also something that, um, that I'm thinking about their mood. Like there's a kind of mood that emerges from uh, their films for me. But I also, again, like, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I'd want to get some confirmation from you all on, on this question. Well, I, I love what you're saying. And Dave, even though you said that it sounded clearly like I, I do think that there's a Cohen-esque genre. I actually don't like, I really? think and no, I don't. And that's what I meant by genre hopping. I'm like, I think that they, they move between different genre registers all the time and even within movies. Right. And, but it's a style, it's a language world. It's a stylistic kind of, um, yeah. I mean, I think I would say that there's a style, there's a language, there's a, a groundedness, but it is all about messing with genre. Like that, 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 that yeah. is what they're doing. I guess right? that's and the so, fun of like, is, is it style? Like, you know, cause we're always like trying to figure out if something is like genre or tone, but like yeah. style, even you can throw in there as just like these things like are often used in place of each other. And like, I obviously understand that like, what the difference is between a fucking noir and a, and a slapstick comedy. So, so, yeah. and I totally agree there. I just think it's, it's kind fun. of doing like genre drag. You know what I mean? Like if we look at like okay. true grit and hail Caesar, you know, it's like they're, they're wearing these genres as costumes, but because we know who's underneath the costume. Yeah. You yeah. know, we kind of know how to make sense of, how the genre is being inhabited and yeah, there are, but I think you're right. Like at the level of language, there are just like, there are plenty of lines in this. There are plenty of lines in every Coen brothers movie where you're just like, that is Coen-esque. Right. And so I do think it's happening at the level of dialogue, language style, but what it's doing with genre is actually very purposefully, kind of ambivalent right and that's what i'm seeing like all these these reviewers respond to in 
in this movie is that, you know, they don't really know how to make sense of it. Maybe because it's doing some of the most ambitious things with genre that they've done Mm -hmm. in their filmography, you know, um, it's, and yeah, I don't know. Because it doesn't I, fit I, into a. I, I mean, it's it yeah. to me the 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 things about it, the 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 genre, the generic things about it are mm-hmm. just the coil of it, the tension of it. That it like it really is like one thing added on top of another. Whether you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use, a Jenga game, or to me, it just feels like a coil twisting tighter and tighter and tighter um, Mm -hmm. throughout it. And that's something, you know, we associate with like horror a lot or like thriller. And I think it's like kind of easy when we're talking about genre to be like, Oh, it's really a horror movie, you know, it's like kind of a clever little thing to do. Um, But there is so much tension in this movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's all about building, building the tension. I was saying to Shira, like, I think that it is what's so funny about it. And I am, I was struck by how you and Daniel were both saying it's funnier and funnier the more you watch it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But you have to kind of get over the fact that Larry believes his life to be so tragic, right? <laughs> to or be able stop to identifying have access with Larry. to that. Yeah, I I didn't identify with Larry throughout the movie, so I found that to be an interesting question too. And maybe that's why I was so uncomfortable about the women in this movie. <laughs> I just really felt like, okay, Larry, his brother, and his son all get to have multiple dimensions, even though his brother and his son are still like pretty flat characters. They get to have dimensionality and like the wife just doesn't. The but daughter those are the just only doesn't. Three. There's not the people... neighbor just doesn't. Exactly. Those are the only women in this movie, really. You for know? sure, for sure. But there's plenty and, of other um, men who yeah. are flattened too. Not to say that it's Oh, not, absolutely, not absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in terms of the family structure, right? Like that seemed really noteworthy to me, you know is that uh, there's a kind of hierarchy of who gets to even be a character. Um, I think I'm like, I think maybe I'm used to that from sort of, and I think you, I think, you know, maybe, um, maybe this is, maybe this is where like Daniel's genre makes sense here. Like I, you know, the idea that it's a, uh, cause I wasn't really thinking about it as um uh, he said, what did he say? Male Jewish existential crisis that it is so mm-hmm. filtered through a male perspective. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, the flatness of like, the the like women characters uh like registers to me like uh as something that goes hand in hand with some of the stereotyping um but that's also because i'm thinking about like philip roth i'm thinking about woody allen um i'm just thinking about some of the um some of the just major works that we've like that we that we read and 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 uh um watched in the class that i taught and i think it all, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it might be a certain brand also of like a, a Jewish, I mean, even in like, even in like the Sholem Aleichem, like even in like the, the, the Yiddish heaviest story, you know, that, that Fiddler on the Roof is based on, um, you know, that it's, I, everyone is being, everyone is, is like, 
or, or most of the characters are, are part of the like uh, uh, are objects of, of parody or satire, depending on where you fall in this, but um, or where you think the the work falls. Um, but I think the women are the women are also pretty uh, uh, flat. Like his wife is a nag and uh, mm-hmm. uh, just like superstitious or whatever. Like I um yeah. So I I think I think uh, mediated through. Uh, mediated through certain like like through through lenses yeah i think i think it's all it's all uh uh that's 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 fairly disappointing but now i at least um i it 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 does register as more um as as more particularly male jewish existential crisis to me now that you've mentioned that and i've thought about it for a second because my genre was going to be more collective hmm well, I have a thought about the individual versus the collective. Good. And it's and it's related to my thought on the goy's teeth. Um okay. because I think the goy's teeth story is one of the keys to understanding this movie. This is the closest I have to a skeleton key overall. Usually like watching a movie like through in this sort of analytical context i have like one revelation where i'm like this is it man i fucking you know my galaxy brain to take <laughs> so the boy's teeth the the big thing that everyone talks about this movie and it was what i was impressed what it was impressed upon me the first time i saw it was just mystery and i'm very moved by mystery i think mystery like that shit is just always going to resonate with me and, and and the point of the goy's teeth story being incomplete or seeming incomplete or unsatisfying in some way. And the unsatisfyingness is part of the point, you know, like that's been talked to death with regards to this movie. What I haven't seen mentioned anywhere is the, the need to ask for help. Okay. Mm. So, so Larry is vexed by the mystery And that is causing him so much pain. And he's looking for help to the point where he parodies the junior rabbi exactly after he Mm -hmm. gets the first piece of advice from him. He's looking for help anywhere. Sometimes he knows how to ask for it. Sometimes he doesn't. And that's a whole other thing. But there is a – there's – I think there's an argument to be made that the way out of – this existential angst is not by solving the mystery, but it is actually, I think helping others is more than just like, Oh, it's always good. I think it's actually the fucking key. And the reason mm-hmm. is in the goy's teeth, the goy's teeth, the, you know, engraved in his teeth are the words, help me, save me, help me, help me, save me. It's saying, help me. His dentist, Sussman, then does everything but ask this man directly why he has this in his teeth and if he (laughs) can help him. He makes it an object of study. He makes it about himself. He looks through all the other molds. The, the, The obvious thing to do when presented with this is to go, hey, your teeth say help me. Do you need help? He doesn't fucking do that. You know what I mean? And like that to me... Is is very much. I mean, uh, Shira, when you're on my other podcast, I talked about uh, 
or or maybe we didn't talk about it, but Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, is like it means a lot to me, and and he talks about like the meaning of life and not being mm-hmm. at, instead of like constantly asking the meaning of life, ask yourself what is being asked of you in any particular moment and apply yourself Mm. to that. And that shit just like, you know, especially like as like a sober addict, that shit just means a lot to me to like go from like, how do I figure it out to like, let me help someone. And actually Mm -hmm. the moment what's especially fucked up about the end is that the reason Larry changes Clive's grade is because he has taken the money and the thing he's going to put the money to is Arthur's legal fees. Yeah. So it, you could argue is like ultimately a good thing, you know? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is indeterminate. Yeah, I think it is. Or, or even it's not straightforwardly a bad thing. And it doesn't, it doesn't quite fit into like the neat, the neat system uh, within which Larry believes he's operating or had believed he was operating um wants to wants to operate in um yeah i think that's i think that's i think that's kind of beautiful um i'm trying to think if i have anything like yeah i don't yeah i don't know i wasn't thinking about it in terms of help me but i think that's i think that is useful because um in many ways uh it seems like this 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 film deals with like collective like tradition and ritual and um and uh myth and myth like like uh, uh like even the the dibok and everything like myth um and tries to like yeah i think there's a, a well anyway there's many tensions but but so it deals in all of that and then and then yet each like individual character is in so many ways like their own island. Like they don't, they don't mm. seem to really be connected to each other. Um, it's that part. Like there's so much alienation in that in that film. It's uh, I think that's that's really painful, right? Like the husband and wife aren't connected. The kid, like they don't feel like there's you know a strong a strong family structure um, or at least you know relationships. Um, and uh, and yeah, like what about like like yeah, Larry's friends or whatever. I think there's one time where he's at beach and he's talking to um a woman i don't i don't remember like what her relationship is to any of any of them but so that's a weird scene it's she has leg braces is her big defining trait to me yeah 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 so there's like some non she you know i think she's put out there in this way that's like oh um how am i supposed to read this character she's i think she's sympathetic uh trying Mm -hmm. to be empathetic maybe and um and then she's like you know I mean, ultimately she like, you know, she puts her hand on him in a way that's not icky, like, like Cy Abelman or whatever, but, but ultimately her point is in like a moment of connection is sort of like, you know, you should talk to the rabbis and uh, draw on this wellspring of, of Jewish tradition. Right. And I think, um, I think you might be right in the sense that like, that is not what's needed, right? Like what's needed, um, like, you know, what's some of these big, big questions about theodicy or, or, or trying to find answers in tradition, like they're not working for him. And what he needs is, um, I think, someone to actually care and mm. give a shit. And you know what I mean? Like, or, or even a rabbi to like, even like an intermediate, somebody to like usher him into like, 
you know, some kind of uh, uh, understanding or to say, just, I think you're right. Like, I think that there, I think you have a, a, a good point. I don't know. Well, my if that's other like, thing that's that the I meaning of add. the film, but sure. Of yeah. Course, yeah. Of yeah. But my other point in support is, is the ears. The whole movie starts with ears and it, you're like mm-hmm. going in through a, whatever ear canal is called, uh, right. it, you know, and you're seeing uh, his kid's ear. You're seeing the, you know, Hebrew school principal, whatever his name is, uh, his ear. And so it's just like, but who's listening to each other? You know what I mean? Right. They're, they're yeah. plugged up. And so it's like, right. just, you know, not to, if, if it's a fable, to me, the message is ask for help and listen when someone asks. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think like the modern condition, like there's, yeah, there's so much, there's like so much suffering or whatever or pain to be had, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's so many questions and yet like, and maybe there aren't answers to these, to these questions, but there's also just like not these moments where people are just like, yeah, like I get it. I'm going through that too. Or like, that's, right. that's like, right. That just, it just fucking sucks. Right. So um, that would be, yeah, that would be absolutely, absolutely. I think, uh, uh, this key absence in the film. Hmm. Um, I was thinking about it in terms of like, I was trying, I went down like a rabbit hole with like Schrodinger's cat, um, which mm-hmm. I like don't, I'm not going to get into because, but I, I think it speaks to what you're saying. I'm not going to get into it because I'm going to screw up what super positioning or anything of that like oh, nature God. is. But, <laughs> but I think, um, I think the main thing though, is that is um, from what, what I get out of that, it, that speaks to your, your point about mystery is, is uh, this, idea of uncertainty and this idea that I think is a tagline in 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 um the film of 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 being of being I guess comfortable with uncertainty. Like I, I think there's mm. just like there's there's also this tension between like accepting and resisting like like mm. whether we see it as fate or like whatever experiences um one is put through and then um and you know I think I think uh uh when it comes to uncertainty it's just sort of like it's just sort of like, or, or even uncertainty and then sometimes sort of quote unquote bad things that happen that don't seem like deserved, right? Like, like uh, consequences that don't follow actions or actions that don't lead to consequences that we'd want them to, or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just, just sitting with that and being okay, or at least allowing that to be an option is something that seems um, impossible in this in this film until I think until it starts to move forward and eventually he's just so harangued by everything that happens to him. He's just like, what else you got? You know? Um, but, uh, but that strikes me as like a, a similar note to the, to the question of mystery. Right. So just like, why is this happening? Um, what should I be getting out of this? Um, there's an element that's sort of like, you're not going to know, like, like you said, that's, that's either unsatisfying or that's sort of just like live with it, live with that accept it for what it is. Um, Don't Mm -hmm. push so hard back. I don't know. And that's kind of how I see thinking about that film too, because I'm just like, what am I supposed to do with this? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not fully satisfying. And I, and Joe sure as hell isn't, you know? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, my only observation with the Schrodinger's cat thing is Mm -hmm. that it, that it, that, that it was a nice touch to have Arthur 
in the bathroom so often and have the daughter be banging on the door and he's always Uh saying from behind the door be out in a minute be out in a minute and i'm like oh shit is arthur the cat do we know if arthur's even in there or not you know that was my little uh little moment i do want it before we go to the reveal i i would love to talk about i have something else to say too yeah i would love to talk about arthur and i have one thing about the sound of the movie but i want to hear your stuff too madeline well, okay, Arthur, like, Ugh. I fucking love, that's Richard Kind's Richard character, Kind, right? Yeah. That's the brother, okay, yeah. So yeah. incredible. I love Richard Kind so much, and I've always felt like he's such a great actor, but he's such a weird dude that he'd never get a really good role like this, and I was just so happy to see him have a role like this. Like, I don't think that he gets to be very, like I said, multidimensional, but... Um, he just does so much with, um, just that scene where you're kind of like watching him go into the water, like from, from afar or, you know, just, he's just, um, a really great character actor. And I was just excited to see him have an opportunity like this. It was just a great role for him. That character just broke my heart, man. Like when you're It's a really sad character. So sad and and what's crazy. That night at the pool. That night at the pool, Hashem hasn't given me shit. When you realize that like you know, and and Larry tries to kind of meekly defend him. He's like, look at all Hashem has given you and Larry's like, I live at the Jolly Roger and and Arthur's like, you have a family, you know, and just his, the way he's crying is so fucking real. And he's <sighs> like choking the yeah. words through the cries. And, when, yeah. and, and the fucked up thing is there are the, the thing that the first set, set of cops says mm-hmm. is, um, another great Cohen moment when the cops show up at the house while they're sitting Shiva and they Mm -hmm. ask Larry, are you Arthur Gopnik? And he's like, I'm Larry Gopnik. And they go, do you go by Arthur Gopnik? (laughs) It's such a funny, stupid little moment. And then just look in and, and point to another guy. And they're like, is that Arthur Gopnik? And it is. So those cops are different than the cops who arrest him. The two, oh, yeah. four different actors play those two sets of wow. cops because the first cops are talking about the gambling and that's what, that's what the mentaculous is about. That's what right. um, Arthur admits to, but then mm-hmm. the reason he actually gets arrested and brought back home is for solicitation and sodomy at the North Dakota, which isn't yeah. even is, is so is such a like, it's such a deep well that you're like, wait, what? Like that's Holy a whole shit. fucking story in and of itself. So that's the great thing. Like when we're talking about how, okay. And this is, I'll push back on my own reading where I'm like, this is just about Larry and no one else. You know, there's moments like this where you do get us, you know, that's how we're supposed to be experiencing this movie and we're supposed to be steadily like kind of breaking out of that narrative perspective, you know, these kind of like moments where just like cold water is thrown at him. Like you're not the only person Mm -hmm. in this world. Like other people have their own suffering and their own tragedy. And 
and the world revolves around that for them. And um, so I found that that kind of insularity of the, of the movie um, really powerful, but also like, it's a risk. Like you need to know that that's what it's doing, right? Like it's, it, it's putting you in there so that you can eventually kind of struggle your way out of it, you know, and, and kind of, I mean, hopefully grapple with it. But I was going to say the thing about listening, just to go back to that, like one of the, and this is going to come up to my genre reveal, but I'm not going to reveal it yet. But I was really thinking a lot about um, conspiracy films of the seventies. And this is 1967, but it's kind of like a long seventies. Let's say Um, this is when like these conspiracy films started popping up was the late sixties. But the the film that really came to mind with the listening thing was the conversation, which is all about like Gene Hackman mm-hmm. is a surveillance expert. And then he like increasingly su- suspects that he's being surveilled upon and then like rips up his apartment by the end of the film. Um, uh, Classic University of Chicago media aesthetics movie right there, baby. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But like the conspiracy film of the long seventies always has as its central figure, a rational subject who is a white man, quite often a Jewish man. So another movie that came to mind was Marathon Man, right? Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. And he realizes that like Lawrence Olivier is this like Nazi dentist. And then like there's this famous torture scene you've not seen this movie no great oh it's it's a well you could even just like fast forward through that scene but it's a great it's a great movie about like jewish paranoia in the 70s like all these nazis are like hiding out in like latin america Mm -hmm. and are like gonna come back (laughs) into the states and like you know um so it's that's a really interesting timepiece but it i'm not saying that like necessarily the coens were doing like nods to that genre but it that seemed like a really interesting parallel in addition in addition to the job one of like the the rational male protagonist who is rendered hysterical by like an irrational world, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of the formula of all of those movies. And that like he is able to decode the mystery, but no one else is. And so he steadily goes crazy. Right. And sometimes those movies end up, you know, with that figure vindicated and aha, he is right the whole time and everyone believes him. But then like the conversation is a really interesting one where it's just like, this dude has just gone completely mad and his, he's destroying his apartment and inner life. And, you know, the apartment is this kind of like extension of his, of his psyche, you know? Um, so I kind of thought that the, the movie was playing a lot with those tropes and I liked it. Because I was trying to think about, like, the 60s, 70s-ness of it all, too, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, that's all. We're- I just wanted to bring that up with the listening, right? Like, great. there's so many of these interesting scenes. It's like, all these devices that are designed for listening, but that also prevent one from hearing, right? Like, <laughs> like blocking, right? Blocking the boy's... Um, uh, hearing, you know, 
kind of blocking his Jewishness, like all, <laughs> like all of these things that are happening with his ears. I don't know. Well, that leads to my one other observation before we're clearly all itching to get to the reveal. Yes. Is, it is to do with sound. And uh-huh. it kind of, this, this feeling fades for me sort of midway through the movie, but I, it, I, early on, I was like, this sounds like an album. The, like, the, the, mm. like, like if you were able to abstract all the speech so that it didn't, it didn't form actual words, the rhythm of the scenes. And this is also one of my most pretentious, like, it's like jazz, man, or something is like so douchey, I'm aware. But I listen to a lot of like experimental ambient and like, ex- like ambient jazz and soundscapey sort of music. And it just, the, the texture of the sounds, even th- where it really stuck out to me is when he's pulling the hose, uh, mm. across the lawn and that unsettling harp arpeggio is, is pl- the like, I, I can't, I'm not going to do the fucking thing. I can't do it, but it's, it's just this like creepy yeah. little heart plucking, but it's also mm-hmm. a little bit dreamy. It's not just threatening. And, and the way people are bickering at each other, plus then the long, slow tones of like a Cy Abelman. I was like, this feels like a fucking experimental soundscape record to me almost. Like I could like, well, yeah, I, I I don't know. So I I almost would love to had to know how to do that or have someone able to just like fuzz out the words themselves and just hear the sort of like um the the sound of it all. So that's nice. my thing. I'm I'm happy to go to the genre reveal. Yeah, share any lost thoughts before we do our genre reveal. No, I mean you've given me a lot of stuff to think about, but um, but no, I don't have anything to add to that. No. Okay, cool. Cool. I mean, would you like to go s- first with your genre reveal? Well, yeah, I was talking to some friends about this and I I don't know. I was <laughs> I I think they were I think their suggestion was like Midwestern or something like yeah, Midwestern shtetl core. Um <laughs> I, nice. It's just so good, right? It's so good. Um, and then I was just thinking like, yeah, I was thinking like, you know, Midwestern Jewish Gothic, but I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like something shuttle core shuttle Gothic, um, might hit on some of the notes, uh, mm-hmm. some of the notes coming through here. And it's just like, you know, the shuttle, cause it's, cause we were, t- we were talking about, you know, the ways in which, um, the ways in which it is genre bending or, you know, there's you first watch it it's a it's like a tragedy and it's like kind of torture or, or horrifying or whatever and then after you watch it a few more times it's like funnier and funnier mm-hmm. uh, and so it's it's hard to it's hard for me to just call it entirely a farce um like some of the reviewers did but i feel like if i bring in the note of jewishness like with shtetl gothic for example um the note of jewishness with like the shtetl i think uh uh gets at the fact that like yeah there's going to be some like there's going to be some like unsettling humor here um, and uh, some self-directed humor. Um, but I was also thinking about the ways in which like, um, you know, the shuttle is this like closed off 
and this isn't this is an entirely map, right? I know that there's like uh, uh, you know you like boyish neighbors or whatever, but the shuttle is like a closed off um, kind of claustrophobic community, um, and it's governed in some ways by like myth, um, uh, myopia, like I- I- ignorance to a certain extent too. I mean, other th- there are things that are beautiful about it. Um, that we're not going to focus on, um, including like, you know, uh, um, some of those, yeah, solidarity. Uh, uh, um, uh, but I think, um, but I think here is like, I think here the idea is sort of um, the myth of this well of Jewish tradition functioning as a kind of balm um, mm. or, or like being therapeutic in some way. I think, um, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's not totally the case or when it is the case. And when there's this like moment of like healing of rifts um, in the film, when uh, Larry and his wife kind of come back together over the sun's bar mitzvah, it's like this touching moment, but the kid is like, hi. Right. Um, but it's still like, it's, <laughs> you know, like it's, still, so it's like that even that is not without its moment of being undermined. And so that's, I think, <clears throat> so I think it's, it's doing something with, um, it's doing something with with Jewish tradition and also Jewish myth there um, and not, you know, um, and uh, and I think, yeah, I don't know. That's that's that gets at some of the dissonance uh, that'll gothic for me, um, but it doesn't fully like I, I don't know. Nothing. I, nothing is fully satisfying for me. But that's that's the thing about this entire film, too, though. So I don't know. That's mm-hmm. that's what I've got. I, I like it. Shtetl gothic. That's say. Awesome. What do y'all have? I'm really excited. Yeah, Madeline, you want to go or you want me to go? (laughs) All right. Mine is, I think that it is a long 70s conspiracy Jewish fable. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a mashup of these things. But specifically, I'm interested in like the conspiracy fable, right? Like the ways in which like conspiracy is about this like play of like, Oh, there is, there is a rational explanation. There is certainty in in the mystery, but the fable is about. I think that there is a, a purpose. That there is a lesson, and it is about, um, you know, that uncer- that certainty is not living. You know, and that um, that in this character's desire for certainty, he misses out on all of his life. Right. And like that. um, So I think that that, I like what you're saying about like help other people, (laughs) Dave, like being, being the lesson. But for me, it was like, don't, don't get um, distracted in the search for certainty that, or that 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 search for certainty is is leading you astray, you know. That's real. So, but is is, is long part of the genre? The long nineteen, yeah, because it's like long nineteen seventies conspiracy is like a it's like a genre I've written about, like oh. you know that I periodize and like you know it starts in like the mid sixties with films like The Manchurian Candidate, and then it like 
stretches across the Cold War era, like the end of the Cold War and really ends like, you know, like according to my periodization, it like ends with the movie Sneakers, like 1991 with Robert Redford, you know. Okay. So long it's, refers that's a, like to an the attempt length to of like, the movie or the length of the period? No, the, of the periodization. So like the long 70s. The long 70s. Okay. Yeah. The long 70s conspiracy Jewish fable. This is like, that's, yeah, I think academics do this. And it took me even like being part of the culture. It took me a, a long time to figure out like, why is it long? <laughs> like, It's long because it's long, man. It's like, because it's like. Oh, cool. That's helpful. It's about the 70s without knowing it's about the 70s yet. You know, it's a 1967 film, but like. Typifying, yeah. But yeah, what it's typifying is is fundamentally like a 70s, a set of 70s questions. uh, It is like historically characterized by the 70s and like this this beginning of like what would be called like the long downturn and and things like this the long 70s you know we know that's what i'm saying man like but you asked me these questions no i just don't understand the lingo i just need help i just need scaffolding for the lingo it's just like the idea of like a long durée you know like it's goes beyond the goes beyond. Okay. And it's like, uh, you know, duration, you know? Yeah, just say the shun, you know? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I've no, got I've got my... It's a French term. I'm going to say it in French. Well, I speak English, okay? But there's been tons of non-English words in this episode, you know? I haven't heard any. They all went right through my... Right through my... Yiddish terms have have popped up quite a bit. No, Shira's um Shira's uh genre I have as Midwestern Gothic. Didn't hear any other words <sighs> in her. Uh, you didn't hear the other didn't words. Hear no shtetl. N- none of that. Uh, uh, yeah. Um. Okay. I have. I have mine. Are you okay, Dave? Am okay, I okay? Cool. What do you mean? Yeah. We're gonna do a. Uh, we're gonna do a wellness Don't check before your, your genre reveal. <laughs> I've been the one like coughing in the bed. Is that what a wellness check's for? I, I totally get what's going on. All right, let's, let's talk this. about it. What's your genre reveal, my, Dave? Yeah, my genre reveal. Us. I'm trying to think of. I don't have like a good like core for it or like gothic like at the end. But I just yeah. I think of it. Okay, how how am I gonna phrase this? It's it's panicked fumble through a giant key ring to open the the door. I was with you. <laughs> okay, here so, so okay, let me so 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 okay. Okay. Because really good. or like a key like hole or like No, no, no. so so the so so it's imagine a person at a door and this is the door. So like what is it the door to? fucking everything man this is the, mm. the do- like you open this door capital t door. Ev- every, oh my gosh everything the fucking door. makes sense right this is like kafka's before the law this is like this is, this like, is feeling kafka Alec- yes. yeah but like using it to perfect more than the law like existence right so so but the but the giant key ring is oh and that's the other thing you know this isn't doesn't make it into my my genre name but like the right key is on there, 
right? So you know the right key will open the door. It's the the pos- it's possible. But all you're seeing is someone with the biggest fucking janitor size key ring and they are just like frantically like is there something like chasing them no they're just at the door before they open the door just at the door there's at the door just you know trying to get it and the the thing i like about this is from the right perspective this could look this is like a clown routine this looks fucking funny as hell right you're like what is this person doing but if you're in there with the person you're like yes no 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 frantic Yeah. yeah 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 I like that. I like that. Captures, that captures a lot of the energy and like the, yeah, that dissonance too, right? From the right perspective, it's funny. It's like very funny. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're there, you just like are like everything's gonna collapse. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. You had to be there, man. <laughs> That's hard. It's hard to like append a noun to that, you know? Like I know. Uh, uh, core. Core. <laughs> Oh, so you did core last week. You can't do a yeah, core every week. I'll do a core every that's my new thing. Uh so that's that's the show. Thanks for joining us, Shira. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for being here, Shira. It was really Madeline. fun. Thank you. And yeah, Daniel. Daniel. Yes, Daniel. We've we've thanked, but but we we are grateful for his Thanks his for presence. leaving, Daniel. Wow. Uh so <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, Shira, is there anything for you to promote or tell people about? We'll put ways to follow yeah. you or whatever in the show notes. But um, I mean, you know, you're snark a snarkademic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Snarkademic. But, but in, in general, I don't have anything out right now, and I'm just yeah. It's been fun to chat. I don't yes. need to promote anything. Madeline, it's been great. Are you going to promote? So, last time you promoted Common Notions, the book press. Do you want to promote some other thing that? you don't receive immediate material benefit from? Hmm. That I don't... Re- Does that include my book? No, you didn't even promote your <laughs> no, book, no. though. You just promoted the press. Oh, my press, okay. Um. Well, you and I are going to appear... Oh, yeah, but no, this is that, this is going to be... Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming um, to the Red May event that we were at, maybe. Yeah, thanks for having come to yeah, that weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything to promote yeah. um, this week at all. Yeah. Sorry. I have something to promote, but I don't know what it is. That's my, that's my tie-in for a serious man. I can't figure out. Yeah. You can't figure yeah, it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Really good. Okay. Um, I'm gonna- this, was, this was really fun. Y'all are, y'all are awesome. Um, Thank you. You too. Yeah.